This is episode number 40 of the Aging Academy Podcast. Welcome to the Aging Academy Podcast, sharing the information we need to discover how to grow older without getting old. And here's your host, who turns this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Moat. Welcome back to the Aging Academy Podcast, where we learn how to grow older without ever growing old. This podcast series discusses the many issues and topics that help us to optimize and inspire the forward path of our lives. And you are listening to episode number 40. It has been a little while since my last podcast release. Life is just getting back together for me after going through somewhat tumultuous times over the past year. So I am hoping to provide more regular releases of this podcast, the newsletter, and to update the website so that the Aging Academy provides more benefits to my listeners, subscribers, and followers. After all, this message of growing older without ever getting old is simply too important to ignore in our culture. I want to remind everyone that each episode of this podcast has its own dedicated show notes page on the Aging Academy website. And finding these show notes pages is fairly easy once you know the episode number that you are looking for. For example, this episode is number 40. So to find the show notes page for this episode on the website, you would use the URL for the website followed by forward slash TAA40. That's it. So as long as you know the podcast episode number, then you also automatically know the show notes pages on the website for that particular podcast episode. The show notes page for each episode typically contains additional information and links related to the topic matter of the episode. You can sometimes find offers from the podcast guests themselves, and most importantly, you can join the Insiders Club for the Aging Academy, which will help strengthen your ability to grow older without ever growing old. Ha! Huh. Now, I just heard a few of you ask, Lee, what is this Insider Club that you speak about? Okay, I didn't actually hear you ask that, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I know a lot of you would want to know. The Insider Club newsletter contains tips, tricks, and hacks to help us in never getting old in the face of the years passing by. Growing older has its challenges, of course, and I share how I deal with these challenges and what I have discovered about handling them to Insider Club members through the newsletter. Sometimes you will be given access to books and other media via the newsletter, but this is just the beginning of the journey. Stay in tune with the latest that's happening with the Aging Academy by joining the Insiders Club. And while you are on the show notes page, why not leave a comment or a question or a clarification, or tell your own story regarding the topic being discussed there. I read every single comment and try to engage all of my listeners and followers. I would love to see your input there. Of course, you can access these podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and several other podcast directories. The website will eventually have more information about all the places you can access these podcasts other than the Aging Academy website. These podcast directories allow you to subscribe to this podcast series so that you never miss an upcoming episode. If you are new to podcast subscriptions, visit the podcast directory website for more information on how to do this. And now I have both a confession and a request for help to make to you. The Aging Academy website has been slow to develop. This development has been the victim of my eventful life over the past year. I'm sure many of you have noticed how long it has taken just to update this website. 
I am hoping to put more effort in this direction over the upcoming months because, well, it sorely needs it. If any of you out there have the inclination to help with the Aging Academy website and to help spread the message that it's responsible for, please contact me. I could certainly use some assistance along those lines. But for now, I am just grateful to have something out there that my users can interact with, even if it's not perfect. It is quite common to refer to the phases of life as it is reflected in our culture. But for the most part, these refer to the physical changes we all go through on our journeys from toddler to hopefully wise elders. But as I am discovering, there's also a human maturation process for our values as well. We don't often think of our values when we reflect on our personal evolution, and that is exactly what this episode is all about. I want to explore how our values typically change as we age. I will reveal a few of my own values and reflect on the changes these values have endured through the years. You, of course, are invited to play along with this game and to explore your own personal refinements and evolutions. But there is no requirement for you to do that. Hearing my own introspections may spark you or it may not. Just listen and see what you do or do not feel. Of course, I'm always interested in what goes on in the minds of my listeners, so you are invited to leave your personal statements, stories, and feelings on the show notes page for this episode as explained at the start of this episode. But before I dive into depth and expose my own values, let me briefly dig into what values are as it relates to this context. Although it isn't easy, let's try to define what values are. The first definition of human values that pops out at me is the virtues that guide us to take into, into account the human element when we interact with other human beings. Our values typically reflect themselves in our relationships and dealings with others Instead of actually trying to define the abstract concept of human values, I'm going to just list them enough so that you can get a sense of what is being discussed. There are those values that influence how we treat other people. These values would include things like honesty, openness, generosity, mercilessness, and so on. There are also those values that, we, that control how we act in our own individual lives. Are we bold? Are we courageous? Are we uncaring, dispassionate? Do we seek to be empathetic or are we just looking to make things better to move on? Our entire approach to life is influenced by our value systems. How we see and value aspects such as trustworthiness, love, peace, empathy, respect, fairness, listening, discipline, justice, and selfishness greatly affect our own approach to the world. But this episode is not about our values as much as it is about how those values change over the years, or at least how a few of my values have changed as I've gotten older. I am not the first or only one to wonder how our human values evolve, change, or mature as we get older. In the show notes page for this episode on the website, I have included informational links to what is called the Swartz Theory of Basic Human Values. Of course, you can Google this yourself to read all about this. But apparently, some professor back in 2012 was wondering kind of along the same lines that I am now wondering about the maturation of our human values and needed a way to define and measure something. Professor Schwartz identified 10 basic human values that seem to appear in all the cultures of the world. By the way, if this sort of thing captivates your mind, I have put links in the show notes page that could start your exploration into the subject. 
I will only give a brief overview here to support the premise of this episode. What this professor realized is that a single human value, for example, the desire for personal pleasure, does not operate in isolation from all our other values. He understood that our values were dependent on conditions and settings. Of course this makes sense. The human value of benevolence can sometimes be in direct conflict with our values for power. On the other side of this, our need for and values of security will often tie into our values for obedience and or values connected with tradition. Even though the impact our values have on us is rarely conscious, people decide what is good or bad, justified or legitimate, worth doing or worth avoiding based on the possible consequences in their cherished values. Our values are closely tied to our beliefs and feelings. A person's values forms an ordered system of priorities that characterize them as individuals. Do they attribute more importance to achievement or justice, to novelty or tradition? This is what makes up an individual's profile. In order to satisfy myself in this exploration of values, I had to ask the question of where do our values come from? Do we really need to have human values? If everyone implicitly has some sort of value system within him or her, then what forms this ordered set of priorities in our lives? Well, as biological and social creatures that must live in groups for survival, humans have at least three requirements that tend to be the root at the root of all of our values. These three requirements are, number one, our need as biological organisms. Our relationship to food and shelter are at the root of so many of our values. Number two, our need for coordinated social interaction. The tribe and our relationship to it strongly affects many of our values. The values of respect and diplomacy comes from our needs as social creatures. Number three, our need for the survival and welfare of the tribe. Many of our values relate to how we treat others and we will often have differing values for those that are within the tribe versus those who are not. It is these three basic human needs that sit at the heart of most of our human values. Let me put this in simpler terms that I believe more of us can relate to. When my daughter was only 12 or 13 years old, she came home seemingly proud that she had learned about the four F's of life in school that week. That's F like in Frank. She proudly indicated that these four F's were sitting close to the heart of every human and animal interaction on our planet. So I decided to pay a bit more attention and asked her, So Delia, Delia is her name, Please list these four F's so that I can be sure that we are talking about the same thing. Her expression changed a bit as she started to list them for me. Feeding, fighting, fleeing, and with a slight pause, mating. I breathed a small sigh of relief. I realize now that she was educating me on the basic needs that shape almost all of our cultural and personal value systems. Our human values is essential in forming boxes and boundaries around these four F's that, were, that would allow our society and relationships to work. Without our value systems, anarchy and chaos would be the result. This example makes it clearer to me why human values are so important. But our values are not fixed or stagnant once we establish them in our lives. We take on different roles throughout our lives, and these varying roles will influence changes in our value systems to allow us to approach and adapt to these new roles in ways that meet our perceptions of what should be. As we take on the various roles and conditions throughout our lives, our value sh systems shift to support and optimize our performance in these roles. We have all heard that our brains do not reach full potential until about the mid-twenties. And in the case of males, sometimes it's even later than that.
So of course we expect the value systems of teenagers to be noticeably different than that of a person in their 30s or 40s who is immersed in raising a family and managing a career. But many of us have not observed the changes in our thinking that have, occur that have occurred between the ages of 40 to 60. This is another critical time for us, and it is the changes between these two milestone years that I will be focusing on as I ask myself the upcoming questions about the changes in my own value system. By using a few selected questions, I would like to explore how my thinking has changed between these two periods. And of course, my exploration is not your exploration. If you choose to do the same exercise as I am doing here, I am sure you will come up with different answers and patterns. That is the way it is supposed to be. But doing the exercise will help you discover more about who you are and the directions you are heading to. This makes you more empowered to influence your forward path to produce the outcomes you want up ahead. So I am going to pose a few questions primarily to myself and answer them knowing that all of you will hear my answers. These answers are not for you to evaluate or judge since there is never a wrong answer here. No one can tell you the path you should be following in living your best life. In that vein, you are not allowed to judge these answers, but only to hear them as possible inspiration for your own answers and thinking. I will try to expound on the following four questions. Number one, which person do I like better, the 40-year-old Lee or the present-day Lee? Number two, what did I value more strongly when I was 40 years old than I do in present day? Question number three, what do I value more strongly now than when I did back when I was 40 years old? And the last question that I will talk about is, what advice would the present day Lee give to the 40-year-old Lee? In preparing for this episode, I have also asked other people these same questions. Where appropriate, I will include their answers as well. But please remember, you are hearing the answers from a man who is presently 69 years old and who has had a decently diverse set of joys and challenges in reaching this point in his life. I've also asked others these questions as well. All of these people are 60 years or older. I choose the years between 40 and 60 because this is where life throws us some of our biggest challenges in terms of our value systems. Events occurring within this period will often radically alter what life is and what it means to us. For me, it was a very devastating accident that I had when I was 54 years old. The person that went into that accident was certainly not the same person that came out of that and recovered from that trauma. I often call myself blessed by that accident despite the trauma, physical pain, and recovery period. I believe that accident heavily influenced the person that I've become today. When you have faced your own death as I did, you can never walk away from that as the same person. It alters you in ways that would be difficult to describe to another. And there have been other life-changing events as well. As my long-term followers may remember, I've had a stroke at the end of 2016. I went into much detail about this in my podcast episodes number 22 and 23. Those of you who have not heard those episodes may want to go back and listen. I put links to them in the show notes page for this episode. There is life-saving information in that content. In talking with others, I have found that most of them have faced challenges during this period that forced them to reevaluate re or at least reorder their values from their 40-year-old thinking.
The answers to these questions reflect these events and changes. For many, it was a divorce. For others, it might have been a heart attack, a cancer diagnosis, or some other medical challenge. For a few others, it was retirement or the death of a spouse or loved one. It is always something that represents a tremendous loss. All of these life events cause us to reflect on what has been and what is still becoming or not becoming. The first question I asked myself and others was, which self did I or they liked better, the 40-year-old self or the present-day self? For me, there is no question about it. I much prefer the present-day version of myself over the 40-year-old version. But this question brings into focus the characteristics we use to see ourselves through. If, for example, I choose to favor the time when I was physically the strongest or most athletic, it would certainly not be today. My younger self wins that contest hands down. They say the older a man gets, the better an athlete he was when he was young. You can visit my YouTube channel, links in the show notes page, to see that I have maintained a degree of athleticism even as I'm approaching my 70s. But I still could not compete against my younger self. And if we measure ourselves in terms of financial security or success, then here again, my 40-year-old self would easily win. In retirement, I've actually enjoyed the challenge of staying within a fixed budget and feel a sense of accomplishment when I have lived frugally enough to accomplish that. I contrast that to my 40s when there was more than enough money to go around and then some. To say that I used to be rich might be an exaggeration, but it has taken some adjustments in learning how to live and operate from a fixed income, which is much less than what it used to be when I was younger. And if I measure myself through my social connections, here again, my younger self wins out. Around the time when I was 40, I had a larger circle of friends than I do at this present day. I had started riding motorcycles somewhere in the advanced age of 44, and this most certainly brought me into more active social circles than I had been. And some of these friends are still a factor in my life in the present day. I was also heavily immersed in my career, and this was another active area for me to connect with people and enjoy their contributions to my life. I could go on to list all the ways life was better for me, quote-unquote, when I was 40, but the truth is that none of these things matters. What I have gained during these years have been much more valuable to me than what I have lost, and this feeling has been echoed in a number of other older people that I have spoken to. During the years between 40 and present day, I have had a devastating accident which continues to compromise my right leg and foot even after 15 years. I have retired from the corporate world as a software engineer and manager and now create my own obligations and responsibilities. I have gone through the struggles of a divorce and have found what feels like true contentment on the other side of that. I am now free to create my own routines that support all I want to become. So, despite so many of the elements of life being better when I was 40 years old, I've gained a deeper knowledge of who I am and what I want from life. I have gained the wisdom that helps me through my present-day challenges as if it was just a game, which... It is really, after all, just a game. I like who I am so much more than who I was, and I would not want to return to who I was and gain back all of those things that were better than if I had to give up what I've gained in perspective and wisdom. After all, I continue to have challenges. There will not be a time in my life when I do not. And it is my wisdom that typically brings me successfully to the other side of those challenges. 
And in facing those challenges today, it is so much better and easier than it was yesterday. In asking others older than 60 this particular question, the answers I got were not unfamiliar to me. One fellow, let's call him Dave, had gone through a messy and devastating divorce that severed his family ties and scattered his children. According to him, this period between 40 and 60 drastically changed his outlook on life. He likes both the 40-year-old version and the 6-year-old version of himself, but for very different reasons. These days, he enjoys his solitude more than he thought possible at 40 years old, and he feels he has learned about himself much more, which, which gives him power for each day. He understands more clearly what he wants and what he does not want. He does not have any desire to return to his 40-year-old self. I also spoke with Diane, an intelligent woman my age. Like me, she prefers the person she has become. Her divorce during the beginning of this period when she was 40 years old put her on a different course than what she had always anticipated being on. Her need for money was greater back then, although strangely she has less of that now but making do quite comfortably with what she has. My conversations with her revealed that the journey between 40 and 60 years left her a bit more cynical and less trusting of human nature. I suppose having worked so intensely with social services as she had been doing for most of this period can do that to you. But this trend was not common among the people that I had spoken to. The second question I asked myself and others was, what was more important to me back then that is not as important to me now at this time? We can all attach to things whose importance to us changes over time for many reasons. They say that success is getting what you want, while happiness is wanting what you get. During the years between 40 and 60, most of us start to have greater appreciation for happiness rather than success. Now, I'm not suggesting that success in some form becomes less important to us, but I'm suggesting that what success comes to mean for, to us starts to sound a lot more like happiness than it did when we were younger. For me, success was more defined by externally defined factors in my earlier years, but slowly shifted to elements that were internally defined as the years passed by. Success started to include elements like peace and contentment rather than the acquisition of material st status and wealth. It is well known, for example, that the older we get, the more irrelevant the opinion of others become in guiding our forward path. We also start to weaken our desire for status symbols. It is here that I'm reminded of a meme on social media that I sometimes see saying that a $3,000 watch tells the same time as a $30 watch. And I know this from personal experience. But I can't let this question pass by without dealing with something that has always been somewhat significant in my life in terms of how people react to me. Those who know me personally know that I have been blessed with a unique physique, and I have worked throughout my life to keep this athletic build. My own opinion and ego about the build has changed over the years. I still work hard to maintain this build and the strength that is embedded in it, but my attitudes about that effort are not the same as they used to be. There is less ego behind this effort, although ego is still very much there. I've always taken pride in my build because I've always been short in stature. I've always used my athletic build to help me appear taller or more significant in my world. But I am more accepting of my shortcomings, shall we say, pun intended, and I have a greater acceptance of what I am not. Another thing that was so much more important to me then than it is now was being right. 
don't get me wrong. I'm not seeing. I'm not saying that I no longer seek to be right in my opinions, solutions, and thoughts. It's just that it matters so much less that I am right or wrong, especially in the face of differing views from others. The boundaries between right and wrong seem a lot softer or vague than they did when I was younger. I realize more clearly now that my my being right does not make another person wrong. This has been one of the more valuable lessons coming from these years. I asked others this question of what is no longer as important to them as it used to be. Several people alluded to money. Although money itself was still very important, several suggested that the drive to make money crowded out important things when they were younger. Most had indicated that their younger years had a more materialistic approach than their present day does. Nearly all had said that their social connections or careers were defining features of their younger years and that that has slipped away in importance in arriving at the present day. Now I would like to turn to those things that mean more to me now than it did when I was 40 years old. The years between 40 and 66 were some of the most challenging years of my life. As Charles Dickens is quoted as writing in his tale of two cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. This period of years had some of my highest highs and my lowest lows. I've learned so much about who I am and how to get the most out of the life I have left on this earth. It has taught me what is valuable and what is not. For this section, I would like to talk about just a few of the life puzzles I've encountered over this time and to summarize some of the conclusions I've made in dealing with these life questions. I admit to having a unique way of seeing the world around me, and this leads to some very unique conclusions and philosophies about various aspects of life that are not universally shared in our culture. You are encouraged to differ with my conclusions because if you do, that means that you are thinking. My conclusions on the following philosophical approaches would not fit many people. I accept that. The following perspectives are my own individual answers in dealing with some of the basic philosophical questions. I am not here to tell you how you should think or relate to the world, but I am here to tell you that you must think and relate to the world in order to satisfy your own personal requirements for growth. The first thing I want to mention about the changes in thinking during this period is my relationship toward solitude. Although it is not always comfortable, I am my most powerful in my solitude. Don't get me wrong, I love people and consider them to be one of the greatest blessings of my life. But I have seen the power of my own solitude and I am no longer afraid of it. I have learned that solitude strengthens the mind in solitude, my mind has a freedom that is hard to duplicate when I am with others. At this point, I feel I have discovered the difference between being lonely and being alone. Being alone does not cause loneliness, just as being with others does not prevent loneliness. I've always been curious about how much I've enjoyed my solitude. My own thoughts could keep me entertained and productive for hours. I blamed my affinity for solitude on being an identical twin. You see, I've had company right from my birth. But I've always felt guilty when, I've enjoying, when I'm enjoying my time alone because that meant that there was someone who I was not spending time or sharing with. When I was raising children, this was a very big concern of mine, and I did miss so many opportunities to be with my children as they were growing because I enjoyed my solitude so much. But in this present day, my solitude has become very powerful and productive for me. 
We all need social interactions, and I make sure I get a healthy amount, but I always look forward to my time alone, where my mind, thoughts, and as a consequence, my heart feels no restriction. The second puzzle I've had to deal with during this span of years is the definition of happiness. Most of us struggle to be happy without really understanding what that is. Is it a good job that you go to every day? Is it being in love? Is it making enough money to enjoy the options of life? Is it adventure? If my thinking has any validity beyond me, it is all of these things and none of them at the same time. Happiness is a set of positive feeling emotions that are typically triggered by positive external events such as landing that perfect job or the admiring smile of a desirable person or some other external factor. Now, again, if I'm correct, then I have stated both the definition of and the problem with our cultural view of happiness. It appears that happiness and positive excitement are closely tied to each other. Imagine your excitement, or quote-unquote happiness, about winning the lottery. Or imagine the excitement you might feel in planning your next adventure. Or the appearance of a business opportunity that seems to have your name all over it. These are all things that would make us happy. But these are all external factors that produce a level of excitement that would help us to feel that happiness. But during these years, I have found another form of happiness that is not so connected to our excitement about external events. I have found peace and contentment inside of me that has no need for the presence of excitement. And I have found that this peace and contentment can even be more powerful for me than the energetic happiness I had been seeking for most of my life. Think about it. When everything is as it should be from day to day, there is little excitement beyond what we create in our own minds. Having the proverbial wonder of a child is all that is needed for me to feel a deep sense of contentment in my daily, regular, and boring routines. I would like to suggest, at least to me, if not to you, that peace and contentment is essentially happiness without the excitement attached to it. It is calm. It is non-disruptive. It is smooth, even, and predictable. During these last years, I've come to value peace and contentment more so than excitement, than the excitement of happiness. But these are my definitions. Your mileage may vary, and I cannot speak for anyone beyond myself. It seems as if the lessons I have learned during these past 20 to 25 years are simply too numerous for me to expound on all of them. I'm running out of time for this episode, so I'm going to list a few of these lessons along with some clarifying statements. I invite all of you to give me your take on these things by leaving me comments on the show notes page. Instructions for accessing the show notes page for this episode are given in the first few minutes of the podcast for you to easily review. This next set of comments could be labeled as what I should have said, or what I should have done. There have been so many times in my life where I have looked back on my words or actions and thought to myself of what I should have said or what I should have done to encourage a more desirable outcome. It pains me to see the opportunities I have missed for better outcomes when these better words or actions finally did occur to me. But I can get surprised in the moment, just like anyone, which seems to take away my ability to respond to the moment in a wise and helpful way. After saying to myself so many times that I failed to see the better response or action, I have learned, and I'm still learning, to put some time between what I'm reacting to and my response to it. 
An example of this might be an incident occurring in my building where I now live. I cannot enter my building without a key. You have no you have no idea how many times I have been locked out of my building because I left my key inside. So one time when I was locked out, I waited for any neighbor to exit the building so I could ask them to let me in. After some minutes, a neighbor that I had not yet met exits the building. She was a pretty young blonde who apparently had been taught not to speak to muscular, mean-looking black guys. She totally ignored me or attempted to do so as she continued to head to her car pretending I wasn't there as I asked her repeatedly to allow me to enter my building. I felt indignant and, in and irritated, but I have learned over time that there are many options to consider in the space between stimuli and response. I decided that my first inclination would only get me into legal trouble. So the next morning, I sat in the lobby, reading the newspaper, waiting for her to go to work. When she entered the lobby, I stood to introduce myself by saying, Hello, miss. My name is Lee Mowat. I live on the second floor and have enjoyed living here for two years. I then extended my hand and asked her, May I know your name? Before she parted, I mentioned to her that should she see me locked out again, she should let me in. We all do that for each other since I am not the only one who gets locked out. This is just one example. There are so many examples in my life where I've acted before I have thought. When we take the time to consider the various options we have to respond to the stimuli that's in front of us, that is called wisdom. Instead of following my first inclinations to act on my indignance, which would have made things worse, I met a new neighbor with whom I can interact with should the need arise again. By choosing to find a better response, I have influenced better outcomes that benefit more than just me. Okay, this next one is a bit iffy, and I'm not going to get into any detail about this next one for obvious reasons. But these years have taught me the profound difference between sex and intimacy. I define intimacy as the gentle exchange of emotional, spiritual, and physical energy between two people, which may or may not include sex. I believe it takes a degree of maturity and gentleness to appreciate the power of intimacy. I have been warned by those that I typically seek advice from not to go into too much detail on this. So if you don't mind, I will move on. If you want to know more or would like to inquire, just leave a comment or two on the show notes page. As I have said, the period between 40 and present day seems to be where most of my important lessons have been, dare I say, learned. Consider the following brief list of lessons. I have learned lessons about family and relationship and how my lack of attention to these things in the past could easily compromise my future. I have learned that it is the creation of my future that drives my passions and gets me out of bed in the morning. There are many more days behind me than there are ahead of me, but it is still the days ahead of me that matters the most and captures most of my attention and energy. I have learned that the distinction between right and wrong is often a very blurry line. In speaking to younger people, I find that they put very hard and sometimes harsh lines between right and wrong. The years seem to soften those boundaries as we seek to understand the actions of others and be more tolerant of things that are not of us. Each of us, for the most part, tries to choose a set of values that allows us to look ourselves in the mirror and find someone that we approve of looking back at us. And the years have proven to me that money is not the currency of life. Although it does create options and alternatives for you in meeting the challenges of life, instead, it is the love you surround yourself with that is the real currency of life.
But this again takes years of maturity to see. I'd like to wrap up this episode by giving some advice to my 40-year-old self that I've learned since that time. Although I'm pretty sure my younger self would not have listened since he thought he knew everything he needed to know at that time. It is sometimes amazing to look back to see all that we thought we knew but we really did not. But just like climbing a mountain and looking back midway to the top to see how far we've climbed, it is often surprising to us to see how much our values and thinking have changed. But this is the way it is supposed to be. Our aging turns us into the people we always should have been. It just takes a little while to get there. But most of us, not all, leave our youthful thinking behind in the same way and for the same reasons that we leave speedos and bikinis behind. They just don't fit our values anymore. With that in mind, here is the advice I would have given my 40-year-old self even though he would not have listened or understood. The first piece of advice I would have given him is to slow down. I was in a rush to do everything when I was younger. I was trying to be more than I was ready to be, trying to have more than I was ready to have, and trying to do more than I was ready to do. To some degree, this is still the case, but everything proceeds at a slower pace these days. I'm becoming a firm believer in that old saying, inch by inch it is a cinch, but yard by yard it is hard. My life in a gym is a good example of this. At those times when I needed to gain more strength, balance, or skill for new ambitions, it is easy to go at it too hard and end up injured. But I have found that the gentler progressions are more reliable in adding the strength or skill that I needed. There have been many times when I have pushed too hard to accomplish something in or out of the gym. These challenging times have become signals to me that I need to reevaluate not necessarily the goal, although sometimes that is appropriate, but more likely my approach to the goal. In slowing down, I can often uncover intermediate steps that would make the journey to the finish line more enjoyable or safer or more reliable. Often rushing toward some end prevents me from seeing valuable options that I could have taken along the way. So I have learned to study my steps and attempt to uncover the elements that I am not seeing. And there is always something that I am not seeing. The second piece of advice to my younger self is that I will never be perfect, or even close to it, and that's okay. As long as I am constantly learning, it is perfectly fine to not be perfect. To the extent that my imperfections prevent me from reaching the outcomes I desire, those imperfections will be corrected slowly as I progress in my life. And to the extent that my imperfections does not affect the outcomes I desire, those defects will stay there until they stand in the way of something or some condition that I want. We are all works in progress, and the best of us will always be working on that progress. And the last piece of advice I will give my earlier years in this episode is the following. Life and its lessons can never be contained inside a single piece of advice. Life is complex. We are complex. I am complex. One day I am strong and confident, yet on another I detect fear inside of me. The efforts of my days go in two general directions. I work to avoid what I don't want in my life, and I work to bring about what I do want in my life. These are two very different directions. Spending all of your time on what you do want to have happen in your life can allow what you don't want to slowly creep into your life. However, spending all of your time on avoiding what you don't want to happen in your life is simply a waste of a life. For me, finding this balance between the two 
is the ultimate quest. However, I do know that this balance is not a constant. I don't always see it changing in time to change with it. If I could, well, life would be so much better. So now I find myself out of time with still so much more that I could say about everything I've touched on here. I hope you appreciate the exposure of some of my more tender thoughts that I've included in this episode. I invite all of you to visit the show notes page where I've left some interesting links on some of the content there. And I would love to engage you on how you feel on some of the topics that I've mentioned in this episode. Rather than repeat all the valuable brand information that I had given at the beginning of this episode, here is a short list of what was given in those first few minutes of the episode. If you want to review the info there, it's easy. Just listen to the first few minutes where I mention how to access the dedicated show notes page for this or any other episode, how to join the Insiders Club and the benefits of doing so, how to leave questions or comments on the content that you've just heard, and how to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode. I also described the help that I needed on the website in these opening remarks as well. You can review this by opening information at the very beginning of this episode. And so, until next time. Thanks for listening to the Aging Academy podcast with Lee Moat. Check out more content and resources by visiting the show notes pages on the Aging Academy website at theagingacademy.com. That's the Aging Academy, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us on our journey of learning the many ways of growing older without growing old.